He's wearing a Roddy Collins jacket. He's got his teeth done like Ross from Friends. He is looking, <laughs> ma- he, 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 he's looking magnificent and he's ready to go. Just for the pod, lads. Just for the pod. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. The News Run on Off The Ball with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Off The Ball. I'm Kathleen McNamee and we have a great show lined up for you this evening to fill the empty space that is the time between Christmas and New Year. Being the Sligo woman that I am, we have a bit of a Sligo takeover planned for our news round this evening where I'll be joined by Cahill Milani and Arthur James O'Dee. From 7.30, former Ireland and Munster rugby player Fiona Hayes will be on for Wednesday Night Rugby as we discuss yet more cancellations for the Irish provinces and preview Connacht versus Munster. From 8pm, we will be hearing from Rachel Blackmore on her incredible year and Brian O'Driscoll discussing Ireland's incredible win over New Zealand. To round the show off, Joe Malloy will be chatting to Paul McShane about Manchester United and Gabrielle McCarthy about Italy's Euro 2020 win. If you want to get in touch, you can text in at 53106 or you can tweet us at Off The Ball on Twitter. Cahill, it's great to have you here. And you too, Kathleen. How are you? I'm very much excited about the fact that we get to have this Sligo takeover tonight. It's not something that I think has ever really been done on Off The Ball for. Yeah, which... I wonder where it ranks in terms of Sligo sporting achievements. A clean sweep on Off The Ball. What do you think? Uh, probably high enough, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... Well, I suppose you could say it with Mona McSharry and stuff this year. We've, that had, we've had a good year. Yeah, we've had, we've a, good had a good year. So it hasn't been too bad. And joining us on the line, we also have Arthur. Arthur, how are you? Not so bad, Kathleen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm well. I suppose I'm actually a bit in the middle of like I don't know where I am because obviously we're in that weird time. It's Christmas one moment, and then we're waiting for a new year to hit. What have you guys been getting up to the last couple of days to entertain yourselves? Considering the fact that the sporting schedule is a bit all over the place. Yeah, I think I guess the football to a certain extent has continued, and Liverpool and Leicester was entertaining in certain ways last night. Great win for Leicester. Uh, you have to say they they really stuck at it and got the result they deserved. Liverpool had the chances, but that, you feel that's just a significant result in terms of the Premier League title race because Chelsea and Liverpool now coming up at the weekend. Liverpool really under pressure now to make sure that they don't slip up again and Man City obviously in brilliant form to play again again tonight to really cement their place at the top of the table and uh, you know I know we're only at Christmas but there's almost a, an ominous feel to the Premier League title race at the moment uh, unfortunately from a neutral observer's point of view and of course the darts is continuing as well at Kathleen I guess it's synonymous with Christmas now at this stage isn't it the darts I think a lot of people have bought into it now the, the Covid situation has really impacted it and Michael Van Gerwen having to pull out was a a huge blow to the tournament Dave Chisnell had to pull out today as well because he tested positive for Covid and actually uh, Gerwin Price we'll get into it in the news round in a little bit but Gerwin Price has called for the tournament itself to be postponed so I'm not quite sure if it'll go that far but uh, it still has provided some pretty decent entertainment over the Christmas I don't know how many people have texted me over the last few days saying that they haven't been able to get out of the house because they've tested positive for COVID or something and suddenly have become very interested in darts. I feel like it's a similar effect we had with uh, Rachel Blackmore and the horse racing. All of a sudden people are kind of getting interested in sports they might not necessarily always pay attention to because there is literally nothing else to do. (laughs) Yeah, and Leopardstown has been great as well. You mentioned the racing and Rachel Blackmore had another winner today. Um, It's been very entertaining. It wrapped up today as well. So we haven't been badly served at all this Christmas in terms of sport considering the the COVID situation obviously which is quite bleak at the moment and particularly with the case numbers that have been released in the last half an hour or so but uh, thankfully the sport continues to a certain extent and uh, the Leinster and Ulster match obviously called off in the last couple of hours as well on New Year's Day uh, is a disappointment but hopefully the new year will bring 
a more structured sporting environment, shall we say, and less cancellations and more sport. Mm, yeah, we'll be hoping as three Connacht people that the game goes ahead. Well, at least I'll say right now we'll be hoping that the game goes ahead. <laughs> we'll depend on what re- actual result we get. What about you, Arthur? What has been the thing that's kind of caught your eye over Christmas that you've really enjoyed in the sporting world? Well, I'll be honest with you, bringing it right back down to Sligo again. Finally got a hands-on game of our life. Uh, one of our <laughs> studio members there, <laughs> written from a Sligo GA point of view, which filled the gap quite nicely. Um, other than that, like... <sighs> It is. It's kind of watching the football just night at night, whatever game kind of gets to go ahead. But I mean, you look at the case numbers against case numbers again today here, case numbers in the UK, and it's kind of like it just feels like it's kind of with the one league with the Premier League, like it feels like it's almost petered out in terms of a competitive thing. If City get up ahead of steam, which they look to be doing, and then you're kind of like, well, how much longer is it going to carry on? Like it is. It's just like struggling not to feel kind of ominous about the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I was trying to remember today, I was on Team 33 at the start of the season and I was trying to remember if I tipped Chelsea or City to win the league. And I'm really hoping at this stage that I did say City because it does look like that they're trying to race ahead. Um, I suppose we will get straight into our news round. The news round is brought to you with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Yeah, Kathleen, we'll start with that rugby news that broke inside the last couple of hours and that's the United Rugby Championship match between Ulster and Leinster. It's been postponed. Their derby was due to take place at the Kingspan Stadium on Saturday. Now, the organisers have taken the decision to postpone the match due to further positive COVID cases in the Ulster squad and they do say that the game will be rescheduled. It means a continuation of the broken schedule for the provinces. Leinster's last three matches now have been called off. Their meeting with Munster, of course, on St. Stephen's Day fell by the wayside, as did their Heineken Champions Cup clash with Montpellier and Ulster's St. Stephen's Day clash against Connacht was also called off. Two other games too have fallen this weekend in the URC. The Dragons meeting with Cardiff and Edinburgh versus Glasgow will also be rescheduled. Uh, Connacht's match against Munster does go ahead as things stand and that's scheduled for the sports ground in Galway on Saturday at a quarter past five. And in some Connacht news today, Abraham Papali is set to move to Breve at the end of the season. The versatile back row will join the French outfit on a two-year deal. His Connacht teammate Sammy Arnold is also moving to Breve next season. I suppose the loss of Papillon is a, kind of a big one. I think he's a bit of a cult favourite down in Connacht just for the big hits he's put in, but he's also been a bit dangerous in the sense that he's had quite a few red cards. Is the sort of player do you think that Connacht are going to miss next yeah, year? Yeah, I think so. And that's a couple of players now. Sammy Arnold and Ulton Delano obviously is, mm. is heading for France as well. So I guess the squad is breaking up a little bit. But lots of positives for Connacht so far in this campaign. I think uh, they've really played a really attractive brand of rugby. And in terms of getting the results, maybe not quite as often as Andy Friend might like in terms of getting over the line and winning matches. But the the brand of rugby that they're playing, I think, has endeared them to a lot of supporters and neutrals. And uh, reading a piece today that Connacht tend to be everybody's second province uh, outside of Connacht uh, because of the way that they play. So lots of positives, uh, I think. The crowd aspect as well obviously will impact on the sports ground as well because it's such a difficult place to go for teams, particularly at a European level. Uh, if the weather is quite poor as well, it can be difficult for some of the teams to come there and Connacht really do make it a fortress. So the fact that the crowds will be reduced uh, going forward isn't brilliant from a, a Connacht point of view or indeed a, a rugby point of view in general. But yeah, I think lots of positive ca- positives, Kathleen, for uh, Connacht and we have a good Sligo influence with the province as well. And rugby has uh, taken off, I think, in the West in recent years. It really has. Like I know in Sligo, the rugby club has always been massive. It's been a massive part of the county, especially I think for I live quite outside the town and the town's obviously a soccer stronghold more so than it is any other sport. But I've always enjoyed going over to the rugby club and it's produced some nice talent. 
Yeah, and they've gone towards Connacht as well. The likes of Stephen Cairns and stuff in recent years has, has gone and, and played for Connacht. And you mentioned Sligo Rugby Club have made huge progress uh, in recent years and Ballina, I know, not too far away as well, have made big progress. So the game is definitely growing and I think Connacht really have... Um, put in place the the fact that it's all five counties together and it's all the west of Ireland together rather than just being a Galway-based sport where the sports ground obviously is and I think a lot of people in the west have really bought into that and although they mightn't be as well resourced as some of the other teams in Europe they certainly are well able to to punch at their weight and above their weight and I think there's if Andy Frank can stay around and they continue to develop the brand of rugby that they're playing at the moment I think uh, definitely bright things lie down in front uh, for Connacht in the coming years we hope. Arthur, would you say that Connacht's brand of rugby is very much, there's a lot of heart and soul that goes into it, a lot of talent as well at times. So I think, like we said, whatever you get a game in Galway, it becomes a bit of a fortress and they play a bit different to how they might play around in any other stadium. Yeah, I mean, it'd be facetious of me to try and go too deep now into the, the rugby style of the Connacht play. But like, I know, I suppose the general, that general underdog theme around the whole thing, I mean, and that, that, style of play you kind of you see it every now and again it props up especially more so you'll be watching say with with football and I know like when you watched I mean, the likes of oh Blackpool come to mind when they came up under Ian Holloway years ago and um, that kind of free flowing style and I suppose everyone can kind of relate to that and get on board with that and when you watch them and re- most recently I think I was watching Connacht um, against Leinster when they had that brilliant first half and then it kind of got turned around on them but um it's captivating to watch. Like it really, really is, and it's incredible how um, it's incredible how I suppose the relatively, I suppose the lesser of the three provinces in terms of I suppose of what they have in terms of, of even personnel and everything else available to them, that they can conjure up something like that. Like it does kind of always put questions into the most sort of bountiful <laughs> different teams and why they won't necessarily match up to that in terms of style. Like it kind of I suppose it comes back to I suppose just what you're watching for like and just that the pleasure of sort of being entertained by teams it's just it really does appeal to people it really does I remember sitting in a hammock in rural Sligo listening to Pat Lamb's like exit interview crying my eyes out that he was leaving us after all the success that he had brought um, obviously we have a few Premier League games happening tonight Carl. yeah that's right Kathleen Manchester City can move nine points clear tonight of Premier League title rivals Liverpool Pep Guardiola's side take on Brentford that one kicks off tonight at a quarter past eight the champions have won their last nine Premier League matches in a row but the Spaniard says he's taking nothing for granted after Arsenal game we have long weeks yeah but now we have you know 29 and first two away fixtures against absolutely difficult tough opponents but yeah the Premier League is like this like that is the most difficult yeah, that's Pep Guardiola speaking ahead of tonight's match I guess Manchester City look in such good form don't they it's it's hard to look past them for the league title even at this early stage it really is and I think the thing with Manchester City the question that a lot of people had at the start of the season obviously after all the Harry Kane drama was like would they have the depth to do the sort of things that they have shown us in past se- seasons this year but I suppose to ask the two of you on that do you think that even with being as high a hedge as they are already, do they need to add some sort of depth into the squad in the January transfer window? Um, I'm not quite sure. I think they they certainly have the advantage in terms of depth ahead of Liverpool. I think Liverpool's squad is too thin to sustain a title push from here. They're probably too far back now. They do have the capabilities if they can avoid any serious injuries down the line of playing some really quality stuff. If they can keep that consistency going uh, from after Christmas, who knows? Uh, Chelsea have wobbled a little bit in recent weeks, but they 
still have a really good manager. They, they you saw how they won the Champions League when when Tuchel came in, and they they have a really well resourced squad. It's just City just look too good. So I think whatever about Liverpool and Chelsea and what they do, City just look too good at the moment. I think the form that they're in, they're they're knocking in the goals in such easy fashion as well in recent weeks. It's just been brilliant stuff from them. So it's it's very very hard to look past them at this stage. And uh, you know, six points ahead now, they'll go nine ahead of Liverpool tonight if they win. And you know, it's really too big a gap. I think from there. Arthur, what about you? What do you think? You know, Pep Guardiola says he's taking nothing for granted and I think the last few weeks have shown that you can really take nothing to gr- for granted, especially when it comes to COVID cases, when it comes to injuries. Do Ch- or do Manchester City need to tighten up a bit when it comes to the January window? Oh, it's hard to say. I think Carlos hit the nail on the head, really. I mean, they're just kind of relentless. It's just There's nothing. And in terms of depth, you can kind of go... They might get hit. You're absolutely spot on. Like they could get hit, and they could be missing any number of players. But it just, they always seem to have. It seems to be such an effective kind of setup and system they have that people just sort of intermittently pop in, pop out, and it doesn't really seem to affect the whole. Like you kind of think they've had such a, a good month of it even, and you think of, it's not been with, Kevin De Bruyne at any sort of peak whatsoever. Like it's around, and I was just checking. Happened to be checking recently enough. Like. I think it was around this time last year specifically where they kind of kicked off that insane winning run where it's like, I don't, I don't know the exact number of games, it was 12, 13 or whatever, and just romped it. That was the league done. And they almost seem to be doing the same thing again, but just kicking it off a little bit earlier this time. I, I just think, I, like in terms of, I suppose the big question mark is always just in Europe and, and that's almost like, it's not something I can answer. I don't know because you don't know why they can't, why they haven't done it there yet. You would think maybe just judging by how other teams sort of win in win the Champions League. And was even then, Chelsea kind of counteract that, but you, you almost nearly need some sort of pivotal figure there who will get you goals, a Lewandowski or Messi or Ronaldo or whoever. But whether they do or don't, I mean, I think that would be the only thing that's going to maybe change whether or not they do well in Europe. But I think, to be honest with you, I think the league is... I think they're just going to kick on and get stronger and stronger. Mm. You mentioned Europe there. Considering that they do have this sort of advantage so early on in the league, do you think that will be any sort of advantage to them later on in the season when they are competing for those top European spots? It could well be, but I guess it depends on what the gap is, obviously, when it, when it comes to those crucial European matches and whether they can take the foot off the pedal. It's such a dangerous thing to do in sports to take the foot off the pedal, regardless of how far you are in front. Until, until it's a done thing, I would be very reluctant anyway to start taking players off or resting players at the weekend so they can play midweek in the Champions League. But I don't think there's any doubt that uh, if you were to give Manchester City a choice at the start of the season, would they rather win the Champions League or the Premier League? I think at this stage, they'd like to get their hands on that European trophy. Could they do both? They could well do, given the form that they're in. And one of the things that has kind of plagued City a little bit in the last few weeks, besides the fact, and it's kind of been off the pitch stuff, and that has been the supposed like disciplinary issues that Pep Guardiola has talked about. And I'm always quite surprised when I hear Guardiola talk about having these issues with players considering the level he expects Manchester City to perform at. Do you think things like that could prove a distraction at any stage for City, Arthur? Uh, I mean, who knows? <laughs> Maybe, but I don't like... It just strikes me that I, it doesn't. They kind of have developed, and it's almost a kind of it's. It's kind of it leaves. I think everyone else maybe outside feeling a little bit cold as well. Like they don't have really. I, I feel like everything just kind of progresses on, and different people drop off. Like you see, Ferran Torres even. I think that there was that move confirmed for him to Barcelona. 
and you kind of think, geez, he looked good. <laughs> He's already gone. And it's that kind of thing of just this remorseless kind of thing just carries on, carries on. And different people might drop out for whatever reason, disciplinary or whatever else. And it just keeps on going. And they just seem to find someone else to replace someone else. And it's all very, um, I don't want to say mechanical, that's unfair. But I find, and I don't know what you think about this, but I certainly find that the seasons where City have tended to win the league at this kind of canter almost, utterly forgettable like I really it really leaves me just it's kind of emotionless stuff it's funny that you say that because I actually remember last Christmas at the uh, ESPN Christmas party we tried to name every Premier League winner since the creation of the league and the years where City had won it won it at a counter were the years that everyone messed up and thought it was someone else just because they were so unforgettable and trying to remember what had actually happened in that year and what was different to one other year everyone struggled with it and I think you're talking at like looking at sports journalists and if they can't remember it how's the average fan going to remember those sort of years yeah that's a good point I think you know even if you go back to the was it 13-14 that City won the league but I guess the the real story that time obviously was Liverpool not winning the league and I, I think a lot of people had bought into the you know the emotional aspect of that Liverpool campaign and the the football that they were playing and the the wins that they had you remember that win over City at Anfield and it was just a really emotional atmosphere and occasion that uh, you know really underlined the that season I guess it was a defining moment of that season obviously there was a more defining moment than Stephen Gerrard down the line against Chelsea but I think I think Arthur makes a good point there that it's almost emotionless it's it's just ruthless stuff for Manchester City and when they get ahead of you it just it just feels hopeless nearly at this stage for the, the other sides in the league and speaking of the other sides in the league and one of the teams that are trying to catch up with Manchester City. Yeah, that's uh, Chelsea tonight. They can move up to second if they beat Brighton. Kick off of their game at Stamford Bridge is at half seven. In team news from that one, Brighton have named both Shane Duffy and Evan Ferguson uh, on the bench for that uh, from the Republic of Ireland. Of course, Ferguson just 17 years of age, but they're on the bench this evening for the visitors uh, to Stamford Bridge. And that one gets underway very shortly at half past seven. Elsewhere in football today, Norwich have reported allegations of racism to police. That's after last night's Premier League loss to Crystal Palace. Republic of Ireland international Adamida was among those targeted with race, racist messages online. The Canaries also say that a Palace player received racist abuse from a fan during their match at Selhurst Park, which the hosts won at 3-0. Police investigating have arrested a 57-year-old man uh, this afternoon and Norwich added that they'll impose the strongest possible sanctions on anyone found guilty. Elsewhere in the Premier League today, Mikel Arteta is set to miss Arsenal's clash with Manchester City on New Year's Day. He's tested positive for COVID-19 and is currently isolating while a return of a familiar face to Chelsea John Terry is back at the club as a coaching consultant with their academy he of course made over 700 appearances for the club winning a total of 17 trophies he most recently worked as an assistant to Dean Smith at Aston Villa and uh, here at home in football news today Treaty United have appointed Donna Reardon as their new senior women's team manager the Dubliner is a former manager of the Galway United and Sligo Rovers men's senior teams while he also made over 150 appearances as a player with Preston North End and he takes over the Limerick based club after their campaign in the Women's National League last season Yeah very well needed change for Treaty United I think after last season obviously no team likes to come in last place but I actually want to use that opportunity of mention of the Women's National League to talk to you about a bit of news closer to home obviously it was announced a while ago but open sessions for Sligo Rovers new team Mm. were being held recently and I suppose I just want to ask a bit about what you think about the idea of Sligo getting a women's team. Because I know I remember I grew up in rural 
Sligo, it was very much a GAA parish. We didn't really play all that much soccer, but went to school in town. And obviously the success that Sligo Rovers experienced was massive. Like I remember the lads coming in, girls screaming, all girls school. So we didn't have too many lads appearing around the place, but it was massive. And I just think of, in some ways it was a missed opportunity because plenty in the school did play football and would have loved the opportunity to line up with like alongside Sligo Rovers yeah. and commit themselves to it so what do you think this will do for soccer in the I, county? I think it'll be huge like you Kathleen from the same area West Sligo broadly speaking West Sligo we're from a, a J stronghold I think it's fair to say but the the fact that Sligo Stronghold Rovers, on the winds wouldn't be <laughs> The fact that Sligo Rovers, I think it's a natural progression to have a senior women's team. They've had a really strong underage academy at both uh, men's and women's level in recent years. And I guess the club is of a stature that it should have a women's team in the National League competing. The, the facilities obviously at the showgrounds now are second to none. Football is such a big thing and it's such a big part of life, not just in Sligo, but I think in the North West. And if you look across the Women's National League, there are quite a few players from that general area. If you think of Mayo, Sligo, Donegal, Leitrim. Roscommon down to go a lot of players that are actually playing in the league with other teams um, and you'd hope that Sligo Rovers can harness that now and have a really strong force in the northwest of the country that can compete in the Women's National League also hugely positive that the games will be at the showgrounds and you'd hope that the crowds you know Sligo's a great football town a great football area and sporting area indeed and I'm sure Sligo people always get behind their sports people whether it's Gaelic games whether it's uh, soccer whether it's athletics whether it's Mona McSharry and the swimming or whatever might be happening I've no doubt that they'll uh, get behind the bit of red when they're into the Women's National League and it's great for the league as well to have a presence in that part of the country Yeah definitely I'm really looking forward to it and looking forward to getting to some of the games and like you said I think it is an interesting point that maybe hasn't been discussed all that much is the fact that a lot of the players from Sligo and from around that area of the Northwest do tend to have to travel to play their games and how it's going to affect other teams in the league so are other teams going to see us and in like a few of their players leaving and joining the Sligo Rovers team because of the sort of facilities and I think one of the really important things for this Rovers team considering the time they're setting up is the fact that they do do everything properly that they have like proper kits sorted out proper sponsorship sorted obviously the matches be given as much exposure as they can I think will be really important Arthur will you be attending some of these matches in the coming season? Oh, any chance at all to be honest I, like, I'm, I know here you're saying you're coming from like, I'm a little bit closer to town obviously just outside town and I mean anyone who knows Sligo like football's just it's enormous like it's so it's so so big and it's just funny you, you talk about it there I suppose um people getting different chances and the opportunities and pathways and uh, Carla you mentioned Stephen Cairns who went to Connacht uh, and from the rugby point of view hmm. and I remember growing up his sister Brona um, was a few years I think below me or a year or two below me anyway but like fantastic footballer incredible footballer everyone knew it kind of in that general area and you kind of think all oh, this time on I suppose like, when you have this kind of pathway and it's right there right in Sligo Town like you think of how many people are going to be of similar talent and ability you have a chance to pursue that it's just fantastic it's so good and I, I definitely think I think there's no question that again it's it's kind of I've had a full faith in the kind of people in charge it's like we're over the minute that it will be well run and it will be done to the utmost standards and when that's in place then I think I think genuinely hopefully people just kind of fall into it and just follow and just go with it and kind of that any sort of difference or separation is kind of is eroded 
Yeah, definitely. There's a real growl for it around the place. I know even the minute the news was announced, I've been already annoying the Sligo Rovers yeah. account on Twitter, <laughs> tweeting them every five minutes, excited for actually getting to my first match. Uh, we have Rachel Blackmore coming up on the show later, but there was other racing on today. Yeah, big day at Leprestown, the final day, Kathleen, of the Christmas Fest for Sharjah has matched Istabrak and Hurricane Fly by becoming a four-time winner of the Matheson Hurdle at Leopardstown. The Willie Mullins trained eight-year-old prevailed for the fourth year in succession, holding off the challenge of Zanahir. The novice chase went the way of Fury Road for Jack Kennedy and Gordon Elliott and also today Rachel Blackmore was aboard the Henry de Bromhead train journey with me to take the honours in the Maiden Hurdle and as you say we'll hear from Rachel later on tonight's programme. In Limerick today the Grade 2 Sporting Limerick Hurdle went the way of Tiapu and jockey Jordan Gain for the Gordon Elliott trained four-year-old just edged out Quilixios in second. In darts news today we mentioned this at the top of the show but the reigning champion Gerwin Price has raised the possibility of the World Darts Championship being postponed. The tournament continues at the Alexandra Palace but has been marred by the withdrawal of three players after they tested positive for COVID-19. Vincent van der Voort and three-time winner Michael van Gerwen both had to withdraw after testing positive and earlier today Dave Chisnell was forced to pull out after he returned a positive test and that means that Luke Humphreys receives a bye into the last 16. Price said on social media that he wouldn't disagree with the tournament being halted at this point. Sky Sports analyst Mark Webster says the withdrawals have had a major impact on the tournament. First and foremost, hope Dave gets better. But uh, it's just a shame for the event. Uh, we lost whatever players we've lost, but we've lost the semi-finalists from last year. Dave Chisel would have been coming here thinking, this is my time, and unfortunately he's not going to get that chance. And, and by default, really, we've got an, in- an interesting tie with Chris Dobie and, L- and Luke Humphreys. Not the way they wanted it, but look, I said it last night, I hope this is the last one. Um, because it, it just it doesn't help the event. It's not great for the, the crowd watching. And um, we, we don't want to keep losing players. And uh, hopefully that is the last of it now. And um, yeah, just hopefully day gets better. Yeah, so that's uh, Mark Webster on the current situation at the Alexandra Palace. By the way, Gerwin Price is in action tonight. He plays Dirk van Dijvenboide in the last 16 this evening a one game already underway Gary Anderson and Ian White are level at two legs apiece that's in the first set of their encounter this evening and Johnny Clayton plays Michael Smith in the last game of the night at the Alexandra Palace in some uh, other sporting news today in tennis Novak Djokovic's participation at the Australian Open has been put into further doubt following confirmation that he's withdrawn from the ATP Cup in Sydney the world tennis number one who's spoken of his opposition to vaccines is yet to confirm if he's had a COVID-19 jab all players at next month's major in Australia are to be vaccinated unless they're medically exempt. And finally, Kathleen, in some NFL news uh, today, the NFL says no one loved American football more than the legend John Madden, who's passed away at the age of 85. The coach-turned-commentator is perhaps best known in the UK for being the face of Madden, one of the most successful sports video games ever. And, of course, lots of uh, players of that game here in Ireland as well. He holds the best winning percentage for NFL coaches who've taken charge of at least 100 games, and he's passed away at the age of 85. Cole, thank you so much for that. Um, thank you, Kathleen. Lots of interesting news and it was always great to have a bit of Sligo chat on. I definitely don't get enough of it when I'm over in London. Arthur, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us as well. Um, coming up after the break, we will have Fiona Hayes on to talk about the cancellations in the Irish Provincial Games and also a bit of a preview about Connacht versus Munster. The News Round on Off The Ball with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. 